I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 202 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that is coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, it's time for another Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood. Today's guest served as a United States Marine before switching over to the Navy and becoming a U.S. Navy SEAL. Chris Osmond will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. Okay, and ask and you shall receive. Just as I was exploring some different ways to get you listeners involved with the show here, Anchor FM just rolled out a new feature called Voice Messages. So if you guys would like the opportunity to voice your opinion, suggest a dad for the show here, comment about an episode, or maybe even uh, drop a shout-out to your father, wish him a happy birthday, or any type of message that you'd like to hear on the air, uh, now is your chance to do so. Just simply tap the link that's in the description of this and every podcast episode, and you guys can hit me with a message that I can play right on the air here. So I encourage you guys to do so. Let's have some fun with it. I look forward to hearing from you. Okay, and next week, I'm going to smack you guys with another five banger. Former NFL fullback Chris Gronkowski will be here. Also, actor James Snyder, who plays Harry Potter in the Broadway smash hit, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, will be stopping by. So it's going to be a lot of fun next week. Follow me on Instagram for the rest of the lineup, at Alec underscore Lace. And thank you, as always, from the bottom of my heart for all of your support. And please, if you could, hit me with a rating or a review over on iTunes. It really goes a long way to help me out here. So here we go with another Frogman Friday interview. My Navy SEAL interviews are among my most downloaded episodes, and that makes a lot of sense because the Navy SEALs have so much to offer. They never disappoint. I'm just extremely humbled that I've had the opportunity to speak to so many of them here. Uh, So let's go, dads. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule. And every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to jump into the action right now with former Navy SEAL Chris Osmond. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. You are going to hear a word from my sponsors in the middle of today's interview. If you would like to consider becoming a sponsor of First Class Fatherhood, please hit me up with an email, firstclassfatherhood at gmail.com. All right, and joining me now is a first-class father. He is a combat veteran who began his military career as a United States Marine. He then switched over to the Navy and became an operator with the elite U.S. Navy SEAL teams. He is a very successful entrepreneur as well. It is a big honor for me to say, Chris Osmond, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you very much for having me. All right, here we go. How many kids do you have and how old are they? Two kids. I have a son that is going to be 21 here in a month and my daughter who is 19 years old. Wow. Okay. Yeah. My oldest just became a teenager here. So out of my four kids, he's the one that's going to take us into the fray. Oh yeah. So you are, you're deep in the weeds of chaos. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What type of uh, sports or activities were your kids into growing up? Uh, you know, my daughter was really into ice skating. She tried, uh, volleyball for a couple of seasons. My son did volleyball. He, uh, you know, they also were, um, she was into um, uh, softball as well. But, you know, the thing that stuck with her was ice skating. And then he always was a gamer. That was always his passion. And, uh, you know, even in his uh, young adulthood, he's still, like, he's really, really good at gaming. And I had no idea that, you know, gaming is a completely different background than my own. Obviously, you know, I was in the military and, the Marine Corps and SEAL team thing. So, you know, watching them develop into a, 
into young adults and seeing them grow and follow their own passion, which is completely different than my own, is has been a uh, an interesting journey because you know at the end of the day you know it's not my life that is their life you know I all we can do as parents is give them the tools and stories and experiences from our own childhood and our own lives to try to help them develop to become you know better human beings and so I just let them do what they do and try to support them so if one of them wants to be a professional gamer um, then I'm going to support that because it's what makes them happy. And I preach it all the time is that I always, always preach following a passion and, and in the pursuit of, you know, total happiness because all the other stuff, you know, will always be there. You know, bills, stress, life, you know, all that shit will always be there. So why not be happy while you're doing all the, all the other stuff, you know? Yeah, well said. And that's one of the best parts about fatherhood, Chris, is we get a chance to do some of these things that we never thought we would do. I was just speaking with uh, Mark McGrath on the show yesterday about how my oldest became very interested in chess at an early age. It's a game I knew nothing about, but I learned how to play it with him just so I could, uh, you know, get in the game there. Now the whole family loves it. We play it all the time. He's also into Harry Potter, so I play the Lego Harry Potter game with him. So you never really know where it's going to take you. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, and I I think that's what part of, you know, being a, a parent is is, you know, you have in some way the ability to go back and kind of relive your own childhood, which is why, you know, parents introduce kids to, you know, certain ice cream shops or certain parks or certain um, movie theaters or they take them places that they they visited when they were kids and you kind of get a um, a chance to redo it, re-experience it, um, and, you know, hopefully make it a, 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 a lifelong memory for your own kids, you know. But with, with to your point, if they're into something like chess, you know, you can sit there and be like, oh, good luck, man. Have fun with that. I'm not into it. Or you can join join them and be a part of their lives and learn something. And then, uh, you know, I think that the bonding experience is huge, um, Oh, you know, compared to just being on the periphery and supporting them and taking them to practice and things like that. But if you're actually involved in what they're doing, then um, I think you have a better a sense of family you know, a tighter bond, you know, I, I think it's really good what you're doing. Yeah, it's all part of the journey. All right, please take a minute here, Chris, just to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Sure. So I'm from San Diego. I am 45. I joined the Marine Corps when I was 18 years old and was a Marine for four years and got out and uh, joined the Navy. Then I was a SEAL for about seven years. And during that time, I started a company called Tactical Assault Gear, which is a uh, design, manufacturing, and distribution company of tactical products, so body armor and pouches and gun slings, things like that. Um, sold that in 2010 and worked with the company that I sold it to for a few years. And recently, I started my own uh, company again a couple of years ago, um, which has now just been rebranded as Rugged. Originally, it was Chris Austin Designs, but I just now um, recently changed it to Rugged. So that you know, small line of tactical products. I do stuff for the motorcycle industry and, uh, you know, some apparel and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's cool that so many of you veterans have become entrepreneurs. I mean, I've had several on the show here who've had some big success, like Eli Crane with the Bottle Breacher, uh, Evan Hafer with Black Rifle Coffee, and quite a few others. So uh, did you always have this entrepreneurial spirit, or is it something that came to you, you know, hit you maybe after your military career? I would say that I caught it during the time that I was in the military. I didn't know that, you know, even what an entrepreneur was. That wasn't really my focus growing up. I was just so focused on trying to join the military. 
my father was in the military, so that was kind of like, you know, my life, and I didn't know that this could be a business, right? And the, and the, the great thing about today is there's so much technology, right? And I, and I use an example of when I owned my first business, which ended up having just over 100 employees, and, you know, we were in this 23,000-square-foot warehouse, and there was all this chaos going on. You know, we had a shipping department. You know, we got two or three people in there, and all they're doing is hand-entering orders. And you can think many, many years ago, now, you, you know, someone for $25 a month can have a Shopify account. You know, they can take, you know, megapixel photographs with, with great detail with their cell phone and upload it onto a site themselves and be selling things. You can advertise off your phone. It's, it's so push-button and so easy to do now that I, I, I would encourage anybody to not work for a big company. You know, the whole tight slacks, uncomfortable shoes, you know, <laughs> the button down from Brooks Brothers tucked in and just playing that whole game of sitting around the boardroom and the politics of it all. I, I, I think that's why people from the military gravitate towards being their own boss because they come from an environment that is unlike being in a, in a corporation. And, you know, I, I talk about it, um, I, I, I have been talking about it recently to a lot of people and saying, hey, you know, do people from the military, are they really leaders? Are they true leaders? You know, because the corporations seek out Navy SEALs and Special Forces and all these other guys that, that were in the special operations to come to talk to them. But the, but I don't know if it translates anymore because having done both as an entrepreneur and being in the military, you know, the one thing the military doesn't have is any type of financial commitment, right? So an, an example is no general, no admiral, you know, captain is going to sit around a boardroom and say, okay, guys, what's our budget for the month? You know, we got to make sure everybody gets paid. There's, you're not you're not producing a product. You're not designing anything. You're not providing any, anything. You just are, and that's the difference, right? So no matter what decisions, good or bad, that people make in the military, every single person gets paid every two weeks. Every single person has free medical, free dental, free prescriptions. They all have a retirement plan. You know, they all of that exists regardless of what, quote-unquote, the leaders' decisions are. So they, they fire generals, they fire admirals every single day in the military, master chiefs, you know, sergeant majors. But all that exists and happens, yet everybody still gets paid. In the, in the regular world, in, the, in, the, in, a, in a business setting, if you are not a good leader, if you don't have a good marketing plan, if you're not on top of production, if you're not on top of global supply chain, if you're not on top of costing, cost overruns, you know, and, and I say it all the time, could you imagine if the military was, if you told the military tomorrow, hey, guys, here is your budget and you have to stick within those constraints, it, it, would, be, it would be a an epic failure. It would have some very, very serious growing pains because it, it's a large corporation, don't get me wrong, it's the largest co company in the world, so to speak, as far as numbers of people but it's not a business. It doesn't run yeah. like a regular business. It doesn't have the same restrictions. It doesn't have any of the parameters that a regular business uh, operates in within, within a daily basis. And so I'm always surprised to see big companies, Fortune 500 companies. I mean, something like, you know, I'll use, you know, a company like Wells Fargo, 
having a guy like me come in to motivate their people. <laughs> you know what I mean? To give them a speech on leadership and being on, you know, it's, to me it's just, you know, um, wasted money because you can't treat your people like they are in the military, right? And the other thing about the military is it's a very I say you do mentality and there's a hierarchy, there's a rank structure, there are over 220 years of tradition within that organization or in the military. And the other thing that most people don't consider is in the military there is a uniform code of military justice, right? So it's its own separate rules, it's its own separate court system, its own lawyers, its own judges, its, its own jail system, its own prison system. So if somebody's not following the rules and regulations within their, you know, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, that doesn't happen in the real world. In the real world, if you don't show up on time to work, you're going to get talked to, maybe you get fired. That's the worst that's ever going to happen. You know, in the military, it's not like that. You can go to prison. So um, I always think that being in a regular big corporation, a lot of military people have um, issues because it's such a different dynamic, right? And that's why when they gravitate towards being an entrepreneur, they can do things at their own pace. They can answer to themselves. They can chase down their own things and really, really find the, their groove and their passion. And that's why I think as entrepreneurs, you'll, you're seeing it now. There's the technology blend, and there's also the, 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 just the mindset of the people getting out of the military are, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to be my own boss. I've listened to so many people, and over the years, now I'm going to do it for myself. And that's why you see a, a, a very, very steep rise in successful veterans because I think they're just, you know, they don't really fit into most or anyway. I mean, there's a lot who are successful in corporations, but most do not fit into the the standard, you know, be here at 7.30, stay till 5.30, 6 o'clock, and, you know, we're the, you know, the, uh, the Brooks Brothers catalog and, uh, you know, go to meetings. I think it's just too boring for their mindset and, and the way that they've come up in life. Yeah, I can definitely understand that, Chris. I can see how the corporate world could create, you know, some challenges. But I can tell you what, just as a civilian, it has been so beneficial to be able to follow you guys on social media and read your books and all that. I mean, just look, look at what the technology has made possible here. Ten years ago, the chances of me talking on the phone to a Navy SEAL were pretty much non-existent. Now I've had the honor of speaking with over two dozen frogmen on the podcast here. And I think that your mindsets, your philosophies on life, it's just such a big benefit to dads and just people in general. So, I mean, I'm grateful that you guys are out of the shadows, so to speak. Yeah, I I am too. I think that there's a lot of positive positives, obviously, from the background that I have, and and, and fellow you know seals and, and marines, things like that. They can um, you know benefit a lot of people. But I you know I also try to tell my friends and family and, and people who you know talk to me. You know, my kids aren't perfect. No one. Children are perfect because they're human beings, right? I wasn't perfect. I was a I was a hellion as a kid, and so you just got to keep that type of stuff into perspective. And also, you know, you can't treat your children like they're in the military. They don't have that. They don't even know what that is. So I think a lot of parents fail, specifically, you know, some moms, some dads that are are either active duty or were. They try to treat them like, you know, they should be many rangers or many, you know, grunts in the Marine Corps or many Navy SEALs. But, you know, what do you say to your daughter when she's at softball practice and she's having a bad day and, 
you know, the ball hits her in the elbow and then she's crying and wants to go home because her elbow hurts, you know? <laughs> you know, if you, if you put, if you don't have the ability to quickly switch your mindset to saying, hey, man, this isn't one of your boys in the platoon. This is your daughter. She's eight years old. You know, you're supposed to be that, like, sympathetic, empathetic figure in her life that's going to set her up for success for the rest of her life. And if all she remembers about you is, like, yeah, my dad, he was in the military, he was always angry, and he was just a dick, and every, like, you know what I mean? They're going to lose, your, your children will gravitate towards other people for advice. They're going to gravitate towards other people for a uh, sense of family. And that's that's where I would have failed, and, and a lot of people will and do fail, because now your kids are seeking attention outside the home. They don't feel comfortable in their own skin, in their own home, and now they don't want to be there. Now they hate their parents. Now they hate being around their siblings. You know what I mean? And, and, it, and it just causes a lifelong battle of issues when it can be just quickly fixed like oh your elbow hurts all right it's no big deal it's only softball like who cares you know what i mean there's other parents who are like what are you doing we don't quit you know what i mean and they get so cranked up and they put so much pressure on their kids and it's like look you know not many kids are going to be star olympic athletes right it's very 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 rare you know what i mean there's over seven billion people on the planet you know what I mean? And there's maybe, you know what I mean? And if you think about whatever sport your child is playing, how many are at an Olympic athlete level, right? I mean, if you, if you try to, you know, put that into perspective on some kind of spreadsheet, you're like, what is that number? What does that finite number look like? And then why are you, as a parent, trying to get your child into that mentality when you don't even have that mentality yourself? You know what I mean? I, I see it all the time, and I used to see it all the time, of parents who just had you know, the beer gut that were out of shape that probably couldn't even run a mile trying to get their kids to be this, like, ultra-athlete, never-quit attitude. And, like, you know, you can start by living it as an example, you know. And I, I think that's where, for parenting, for me anyway, I've always believed in in leadership by example. You know, not just, like, I'm the dad, I say you do you know, that's just so 1955 and so cliche. It's just like, hey, Dad, look, you say to do, but you can't do. So what does that make you? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, what type of parent are you if you can't do what you're asking your own kid to do? Yeah, well said. And I think a lot of that is by design, Chris, because right now there's such a huge marketplace for these sports camps and specialty coaches. And the industry, you know, is pitching parents on these dreams that their kid can be a superstar. And kids that are playing in organized sports now, they start at four years of age and they go all the way up until college. So, uh, you know, when, when I was a kid, we played without reps, without parents, uh, no coaches. And now the kids don't get that type of independence. And they're kind of, um, you know, the way that they play sports is kind of simulated. All right, it is time for an important word from our sponsors, then back with more with Chris Osmond. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Let's go, dads. You heard me speaking recently about my daddy-daughter date to see Frozen on Broadway, and it was a night to remember. I bought my tickets on SeatGeek.com and used my promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS, and I saved $20 off my tickets, which I used to buy my daughter a souvenir at the show. 
Right now, baseball season is in full swing. Both NHL and NBA playoffs are heating up. And if you plan on bringing your kids to any live event, go to SeatGeek.com or use the SeatGeek app and plug in my promo code FIRSTCLASS. One word, FIRSTCLASS. And First Class Fatherhood listeners can save $20 off their tickets. It's a slam dunk deal, guys. Go to SeatGeek.com and use the promo code FIRSTCLASS. Fatherhood is the best seat in the house. Yeah, it, it does, and, and, it, and it puts so much pressure on the kids because not only, the, you know, now trying to get, like, a scholarship to a college and get accepted into a college. I mean, some of the um, – you know, I, mean, I live in San Diego, so, I, you know, the example I would use is San Diego State University, right? It's not known as a anything but really a party school, right? But the acceptance rate now is less than 30%. And in, for the 2020 class, there will be 98,000 applications. Wow. That's 98,000 seniors from high school from all over the country in the world trying to get into this local San Diego school. You know, think about UCLA, USC. So to your point, parents are like, oh, my God, school is so expensive. I don't want my kid to have a student loan or I can't afford to to help them while they're in college. So the only way is maybe is a scholarship. So, you know, putting the kid into some type of uh, sporting activity at a very, very young age, hoping that they stay injury-free long enough to get a full ride seems to be the college plan for a lot of parents. You know, but what does that do psychologically to somebody when they say, okay, man, you know, you did really, really good and you apply for a school and you're like, hey, man, you know, like you're so tired and, you you, you know, you're not um, doing well in school or your math scores suck or your science isn't that great, that they're really, really good at a sports level, right, as an athlete, but um, as a scholar, they suck. And now they can't get into a school, you know? So they're just a, a, a really, really fit person who, who's getting a student loan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they don't have a scholarship, right? So it's it's a uh, I wouldn't say it's a no win situation because obviously people are winning every day and people do get into schools with scholarships and they do a lot of these things. But you know, as, as we all know, I mean, you know, if you look at the NFL, there's there's less than 250 people a year that get drafted, so or or close to that number. That again, you know, you're there's millions of kids playing football, you know. Yeah, the percentages are so small. Yeah, I, I and I think that parents should be real with their kids. That's how I always try to operate. I don't try to sugarcoat much with the, with the kids, and they're older now. You know, what I mean, we got they're adults at this point. So, um, I think that if you start them young and just say, "Hey, listen, have fun with this. Be good at it. If, if this is your passion, if this is what you like, then do it." But understand that the chances you've ever becoming a professional athlete are this big. Yeah, give that, give them that mindset early. Not just like, hey, honey, no matter what you do, you can do everything. You're like, nah, Johnny <laughs> probably isn't going to be an astronaut. He's pretty dumb. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he's not going to be an astronaut. He sucks at math. He's not going to be an astronaut. And he doesn't want to be an astronaut. So why, why give, why give somebody that you wouldn't give that advice to a stranger, right? And you're not supposed to, you don't care about a stranger. If you have your own children, you're supposed to put them on a pedestal and guide them and raise them and protect them 
and do everything and be nurturing to them, why would you give your parents the exact opposite advice you would give a stranger? You know what I mean? To me, you should give your parents the most brutally honest advice and help them grow into the person that they really are instead of trying to make them, you know, manifestation of some something you created in their mind that they can be. I think that's why their hearts get broken as they get older because they realize they're like, hmm, I was told my whole life I could be anything I want if I just want it. And you're like, but you can't. Yeah. Life sucks. Life yeah. really sucks. It's really hard. No one cares about you outside these walls. Trust me, the real world is brutal. Let's get on board with that plan. And in the meantime, let's have some fun. Yeah, great points. And obviously, the chances of making it as a Navy SEAL are pretty slim as well. But, you know, with sports, Chris, on the on the flip side of things, there are those kids that you see, you could see right away that they have that gift and that they're definitely going to be playing at a higher level. Um, is it like that with the teams? Is it like that with buds? Like, you certain guys come in and the SEALs can look at them and say, man, this guy's got it. He's going to make it all the way through. No, I mean, it is, buds has been studied for decades. No one can tell you what the the attrition rate will be on on average is now we all know it's about eighty percent, eighty five percent, you know, per class. And it's been that way since the forties when it started. But no one can tell you definitively this type of person will graduate this training. It is it is you have people who have gone through Harvard, MIT, people who have literally just got a GED and everything in between, criminal records, they have or you know, you know, choir boys that have become SEALs. It, there is no personality trait that anybody has ever been able to definitively define and say, this is the one thing or the two things that will ensure that that person is successful in this program. So I, I really, really believe it just boils down to someone's heart and their, their mental toughness. All Both those things you can't measure. You can measure how fast somebody can run, how high they can jump, how long they can hold their breath. There's a lot of things you can put to a stopwatch and put on a spreadsheet, but when it comes down to the day-to-day grind of being in that program like that, you know, a lot of people just don't want that type of commitment. It's, it's, it's really, really tough. I mean, to... I don't even know if I can put use words to put into perspective how difficult it is to wake up every single day at 4 o'clock in the morning, voluntarily just going there to get crushed and to be cold and wet and miserable and sandy and do all these things. But then to, but then there's a switch that happens. It's, it's, it's odd. You see it in the guys that you're with. There's this, oh, my God, I don't know what's going on. There's that shock and awe part of it. And then you grow and grow and you start passing more and more stuff. And then there's a switch that like, hey, man, maybe I'm meant to be here. And the mental game switches. And now guys are just there crushing it. And they, and they I won't say happily get up every single day, but there's a different shift. There's a dynamic that is different about the class. And like each class takes on its own personality. And they, they bond and they realize, okay, man, most of the quitters and all the people who aren't going to make it are gone, and now it's us. This is our new family. And it's, it's very interesting to be a part of. It's an interesting uh, thing to see. But again, in that small group of people who are left who eventually go on to become SEALs, you don't, there isn't one personality trait that I can pick out 
there isn't, you know, there there are people who grew up in abusive households who never met their father, and there's guys who are like, no, man, my dad was there at every game. He tucked me to bed every single night. He read me stories. We watched TV together. We camped. You know what I mean? That are literally like best friends with their parents. Yeah. Wow. But they just have this need to prove something to themselves, prove something to people around them. I, I don't know what it is that drives everybody to to put up with that type of uh, training. Yeah, okay. And one thing I'm curious to ask you about here, Chris, because like I said, I have four children. My youngest is my only girl. She's my baby. She's only four. Uh, but I know, uh, uh, unfortunately, there, uh, you know, I'm dreading it, but she'll be uh, in that dating world at some point down the line here. Uh, you've already been there. Uh, so how does a guy like you, Marine, Navy SEAL, how did you kind of handle things when your daughter became eligible for that dating scene? I talked to the dads. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mess with the, um, the boys because, you know, I'm like, Hey, that's my, you know, my daughter, I trust my daughter. Right. So I say, you know, she is making a choice. If she thinks that guy's cute then great, who am I to say that he's not, you know what I mean? Um, and, and I look back at pictures of myself. I just posted one on Instagram. I think I look, I'm a skinny dork, right? My, my nose is too big for my face. I'm like, you know, I have a medium shirt on. It looks like I have a triple XL, just a, a, a little punk, you know? And, you know, can you imagine what, you know, back then, what the the girls that I was chasing, what their dads thought about me. So I always talk to the dads, and I always talk to the dads. Not now, like you know, she's an adult, but at the time, I would I would have conversations and say, "Listen, you know, I get it. Your son is young, and you know, I was his age, you were his age, and you know, think back to what we were after at that age. So here's the deal: kids are kids; they're going to do what they do. I'm not. I'm not." I don't believe that any child is a saint and, and, and kids do stuff that their parents never find about. Thank God. Just like there are things that I did that my parents never found out about, but I'm not going to lie and say, I'm not concerned about her health and her safety and her, her well-being. So, you know, your son is a minor, you're an adult. So let him date, let him be their thing. But if he beats her, if he tries anything, any shenanigans, and I'm coming back to your house to beat your ass. And they'd be like, what? I'm like, yeah, I can't do anything to your son, but you're in charge of your son and how he acts and how he treats women. So that's a direct reflection on you. I'm going to hold you personally accountable. So, you know, kids are kids. They're going to date. They're going to, you know, laugh, cry, do their thing. Oh, my God, I'm in love with Tommy, and he broke my heart. And like, but you've only known him for like seven weeks. Like, get over it. Right, that's no big deal. That's just kid stuff. But I'm talking about the real, real serious stuff. You know, I'm coming back to the dad's house, and so I've had that conversation with a couple of dads, and I've never had a problem. I, I think that the dads really sit down and say, "Hey, listen," you know. And I think that just being—I think you just got to be real with people. And if you know, if dad takes it the wrong way, then dad takes it the wrong way. You know, well, I'm not in charge of his things. Good stuff, Chris. And how about for your son? You know, I mentioned there, I just had a teenager here, my oldest boy, uh, so he's going to be there very soon. How did you kind of handle the whole dating world with your son? Sure. So, you know, I, well, I'm his, his stepdad, but I met him when he was 13 years old, and, uh, you know, he's now uh, turning 21. But um, my son is gay, and my, my whole mentality with him was the same thing. Like, I've always believed that love is love, right? I grew up in San Diego, so I I don't have any... Um, racial biases or, you know, anything like that, you know, sex, creeds, you know, sexual orientation, I can care less religion. Um, you know, I would say that's one of the, the greatest gifts my parents ever gave me. You know, they've 
I wouldn't say they hit home runs all the time, but they definitely had an average. They were, you know, had a great batting average as as parents and taught me a lot of stuff about life. But the one thing that I can tell you, because like the neighborhood that I grew up in, the fact that my dad was in the Navy, um, is that they never, ever, ever uttered one racial slur, one homophobic thing, and ever in my life. I never, I can't tell you how many times they probably could have, like anybody gets pissed and, um, and people say things that you really don't mean or, you know, in anger. But I grew up in an environment where they never, ever said anything like that. My dad always was like, hey, man, treat people the way that you would want to be treated and judge them off their performance, not off of the color of their skin. My dad was very, very adamant about stuff like that. And I was I was recently um, talking with Tyson Beckford, um, who is a, uh, you know, he's a famous um, male supermodel. And I was messaging with him, and I talked a lot, and I said, look, man, I don't understand why people get so pissed about the two things every human being on this planet can't control, right? You can't control where you're born as far as your nationality. Like, well, no one has any control over that, and you cannot control the color of your skin, right? No one has a choice. So the two things that piss people off the most are literally the two things that no one has control over. So I, I I don't even try to pretend, you know, to say that, you know, this religion is right, this race is right, this this way to love another human being is right. I just support the person in general, right? And I would be the biggest hypocritical piece of shit human being on the face of the planet if I didn't support my own son. And, you know, and I... And I to add to that, my, you know, my mentality of, you know, going overseas and these places that most people couldn't point to on a map to do things, you know, for the government, You, I think about those times, you know, it, it was always about going places where there were regimes, there were, you know, tyrants, there were terrorists picking on and abusing and, and, and killing people because they were they were different, right? And so in my own household... I think about all my friends that have been maimed and wounded and burned and who have lost their sight, people who have lost their limbs, the guys that never came home. You know, I would I would never want my own son to live in, an, in a world or in a household or any in type of environment where his rights weren't protected. It's, it can, to me, it's not about straight, gay, black, white, Asian, Mexican. It's about the, he being a human being and about having the you know, the right to to live in a free world. I mean, that's what America to me is, is about. It's like, okay, man, I'm supposed to be free to be myself, you know. And so when he was um, a young kid, he was having difficulties. You know, there's no doubt about that. Like, you know, imagine being a teenager and now imagine having that type of situation going on where, you know, you will be picked on. You are going to be, you know, the odd man out and, um, trying to think about in your mind, you know, how do I come out? How do I, you know, just be myself? And I, and I, and then, so I, I wrote him a long letter, um, which he actually still has, which is very, very cool. You know, he actually uh, laminated it. He, he keeps it. But I, I told him that, and I, it was, it was, I guess the only way that I could describe it was, was from my military experience. And so what I told him was, that 
you know, not being yourself is the biggest crime in the world. That To me, that is the biggest self-imprisonment known to man, is pretending to be something that you're not for this, for to ingratiate yourself with somebody else, right? Like, I'm pretending to be something I'm not to make these other people accept me, you know? And so I told him, I said, look, we're not always going to get along we're always going to, you know, no one, you can't grow up in a household. I mean, you know, you're, you're a parent. You're, you're going to fight with your kid. You're going to fight with your significant other. That just happens. But much like a SEAL platoon, which is very small, you know, we fight amongst each other, right? But those fights stay there. They don't go outside in the town. They stay there, right? They stay under the, the roof. That's the house. And, you know, I could be out back in a fist fight with a guy, we could hate each other's guts, but then an hour later, if we're out in town having a beer and somebody starts something with him, guess who's jumping in first and swinging? Me, because that's my family. And so that's what I told him. I said, just be yourself. I will always protect you. I always have your back. No one is going to hurt you, and if they do, trust me, man, the, the fire and fury and brimstone that is going to come behind it is not going to be worth their effort. And, you know, I, I just try to guide him that way and just – and say to just be yourself and be happy. You know, like I say it all the time that, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't buy another second. And no one knows how many seconds they have. So why would you try to waste it? Why, why waste it? Yeah, great points, Chris. And I've had a gay dad on the show here. I mean, I've had Muslim dads, Jewish dads, dads from all walks of life and faiths and colors and creeds. And when you listen to all of these fathers, you quickly see that despite all the differences of our appearance or our beliefs or our cultures, uh, that we're all after the same thing. We're all in the pursuit of the same type of happiness for our children. We want the best for our kids, and we don't want to see them hurt or sad. So uh, when it comes down to speaking the language of fatherhood, we, we all have that understanding. Yeah, and, yeah, I agree, and I don't want that for any other uh, parent's child either, right? I mean, you imagine sitting there seeing some other child suffering, you're like, yeah, he's all right. I'm sure I'd be fine. You know, it's just, yeah. you know, to me, that's somebody who is soulless, who doesn't have a heart, or who is so damaged that they can't, they can't recognize uh, pain and suffering in others. You know, I mean, and um, obviously there's plenty of people like that in the world. I don't want to be that person. I refuse to be that person, and I'm not going to let any experiences that I had in my my childhood manifest into something so dangerous and so hateful that I live a life like that, you know? And I'm very just ecstatic and happy that I've had the experience that I've had, been around the people that I've been around to have the mentality and the attitude that I have. I I think if I grew up in a, you know, different environment and different set of circumstances and had parents preaching, you know, hate and discontent, you know, the, the brain develops, man, until it's about 20, 22 years old. So there's a lot of, negative connotations that you can develop in somebody else's mind. And and I don't think that any parent has the right to do that. I think you should teach them good things, good qualities about people. And, um, but I also think too, that they shouldn't be weak. You know, I've also given that to both my kids. I'm like, Hey, there's a difference between being sympathetic and trying to help people and being there for people. There's also a, Big, big difference between that and being weak, being pushed, pushed around, being picked on, you know, being afraid to defend yourself, being afraid to defend your friends, being afraid to get into a fist fight. You know, I, I tell my kids or anybody, I'm like, sometimes you just got to punch somebody in the face, and that's all right. You know, maybe you get in trouble for it, but that's all right. You know, people, 
the most famous people in the world have been arrested and standing up for what they believe in. And, and you know, why be any different? Yeah, well said. All right. You've had some tremendous success here. Obviously, Navy SEAL career in the books. Uh, you've been building companies, selling businesses. You have the rugged going on right now. What type of goals or plans do you have for yourself for the future? So with, with rugged, it's completely different than what I had going on with the, the original business that I had going there for a decade. And, you know, I took time off a couple of years out of the tactical industry to really think about that industry in general, and I, I have a passion for designing and manufacturing stuff out of nylon. It's just what I like to do. And but this this go around, you know, have a chance to take all of the lessons learned and all the uh, the mistakes that I made this time with Luggin. I'm doing it out of pure passion and not trying to you know be the next big thing and the next like you know twenty million dollar a year company. Like I could care less about any of that. I just want to have a good time, design good products. Get it, get it to the customer, and, and make the customers first. And if it grows to something that is that big, then great. I mean, that's that's fantastic. But it's not my uh, my absolute goal. I just want to grow it slow, steady, and you know, build it with passion. And that's that's what I'm after this time. Yeah, great stuff, Chris. All right, last thing I want to hit you with here. I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast. What type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? Yeah, I've, I've been there, and you've been there too. That I, there is no playbook. There is, you know, babies and children, they're not machines, they're not computers, they're not televisions. There's, you know, there's no instruction manual like of a vehicle. Each one is different and just let them develop and become themselves. That, you know, don't try to make them into something that you wish you were. Nurture them and guide them so you can see them blossom to the person they were born to be. That's it. Awesome. I love the message. This has been a real honor for me. I got to say, Chris Osmond, thank you for your service. You are a first-class father all the way, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. More than welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. I'm back with a couple of closing thoughts in just a second here. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Chris Osmond for giving me a few minutes of his time here. It was so cool. Such an honor. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM over on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. And lock it in for next week. I'm going to hit you guys with another five banger. This week was a very big week. We crossed the 200-episode mark. And what a week it was. I mean, we started it off with a three-time Super Bowl champion. We had an Egyptian personal trainer. We had a Medal of Honor recipient. We had a platinum-selling recording artist and we ended it off today with a former navy seal all right you can't get much better than that we're going to try to do good next week as well i got a broadway star the harry potter himself will be here with us i've uh, got some more action coming your way please follow me on instagram for all the latest and greatest announcements at alec underscore lace uh, that's all i got for you guys today enjoy your weekend out there we got some good weather on the east coast here i'm alec lace you have been listening to first class fatherhood and please remember guys we are not babysitters we are fathers and we're not just fathers we are first-class fathers. Thank you.